Hello, brothers, sisters, and friends, and welcome to You Are the Current Resident Podcast. This is the official podcast of the National Association of Letter Carriers, the union that represents 280,000 active and retired city letter carriers employed by the United States Postal Service. I'm Ed Morgan, and sitting next to me, as always, is our national president, Brian Renfro. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Eddie, doing great. Glad to be back to record another episode. And uh, the good thing is both our teams are undefeated, the Eagles and the Saints, so no animosity there. I'm not going to start the trash talking on that one just yet. Not yet. yet. <laughs> Derek Hart has a lot to prove. Uh, so you're headed out soon. Where are you headed? Yeah, I, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, September 20th, so here in a little while I'll head out to uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming. Our brothers and sisters from Region 4 are having their annual regional training and uh, raft session, so excited to have an opportunity to go out there and see our folks from Colorado, Arizona, Wyoming, Oklahoma and Arkansas and uh, NBA Dan Versluis and the folks there in, in uh, the Region 4 office always do a great job with training. So looking forward to that. Terrific. Uh, just a one of note here, uh, for Leadership Academy, we got over 270 applications. We usually get about 200, so that's terrific. I want to thank everyone that applied. And if you didn't apply this time, what are you waiting for? Let's get your application in for next time. Yep. You certainly won't get selected if you don't apply. So we encourage everybody to apply. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about the grievance procedure. Uh, I sat down earlier this week and came up with some questions that our members might have. If I didn't ask the question you might have had, you can ask your question to our Ask the Mailbag segment. Submit your questions by emailing us at social at nalc.org. All right. So I'm in my office and I get called into the office by my supervisor. What should I do? Yeah, so employees, and this goes for all letter carriers, you know, whether you're a CCA, a PTF, a part-time regular, full-time regular, it doesn't matter your status, and it also doesn't matter your length of service. This could happen on your first day on the job. Uh, we have something called wine garden rights, and wine garden is, uh, the, the name comes from an old Supreme Court case, but it, it basically gives employees the right to have a shop steward present in any investigation that could lead to discipline. So over the years, we have uh, put out a lot of information on this. Probably the, the easiest place to find it, if you want to read more about this, is in the Letter Carrier Resource Guide, which we have just recently updated. It's available in PDF form on our website, and there's an entire section there that's devoted to the discipline procedure and to Weingarten rights. And we actually provide you with a, a couple of sentences that you, you can literally read to your manager. So if, if a manager calls you into the office, it goes like this, and that this is what you should say to them. If this discussion could in any way lead to my being disciplined or terminated or affect my personal working conditions, I respectfully request that my union representative, officer, or steward be present at this meeting. Without my union representative present, I respectfully choose not to answer any questions or participate in this discussion. That's what you should say to them. You are requesting that your steward be present. Sometimes, depending on the nature of the discussion, a manager may say to you, you know, that this won't lead to discipline, so you don't need your steward. If they, if they say that to you, you know, that's okay on the surface. However, if the meeting starts and they begin to ask you questions about something you did, 
that is definitely enough for you to have a reasonable belief that that it could lead to discipline, at which time you should once again request uh, union representation, request your steward be present. And, you know, once your steward is there, you know, they're not just there to observe. They, they can assist you and help clarify, you know, questions. And the idea is just to ensure that you have that representation and, um, you know, you, you clearly understand what's taking place in that what we call a pre-disciplinary interview. So the simplest advice to give is if you are asked to, to come to the office or, or they start asking you questions about something you did, um, request your shop steward be present. You have a, a legal right to, um, to that representation. All right. So I went in the office with my steward. Shout out, Judge Jolly. How you doing? And the next day, my supervisor hands me a letter of discipline. Uh, should I sign for it? Yeah, it's fine to sign for it. When you sign for, when you're given a discipline and you sign for it, all you're simply doing is acknowledging that you received it on that day. So it's, you don't have to sign, but there's really no advantage or disadvantage to signing or not signing. So it's perfectly fine to sign for it. But again, just to be clear that everyone understands, it's not any indication of you agree with it or anything like that. It's simply that you received it on that day. So believe it or not, this is my first piece of discipline ever. What do I do with it? So the first thing you should do is immediately, or as soon as you possibly can, get that a copy or or give that discipline to your shop steward. If you work in an office where at whatever point in time you don't have a shop steward, you should contact one of your branch officers as soon as possible. If you don't know who that is or, or if you're in a sometimes in small offices, you know, this might not be something that happens very commonly. You can always contact your national business agent. If you look on the inside cover of every month's postal record or on our website, it's real easy to find contact information there. But you need to give that discipline to your shop steward as soon as you possibly can so they can begin an investigation and and potentially file a grievance on your behalf. So is that what my steward does after I hand him the discipline? Yeah, once you get that, your steward will uh, initiate an investigation, and there's a number of different possibilities there. More times than not, they will request information from the from management. Typically, in a discipline case like this, we would request whatever documentation they rely upon, you know, to support that discipline. There's a, a chance that the the steward may ask you to write a statement. They, they may conduct an interview with you. They may conduct an interview with other people if, if there were witnesses to whatever, you know, the alleged misconduct was. So stewards are, uh, they're trained. that They are, in most cases, experienced at doing this. And the important thing is for you to know that when you give that to them, these people know what they're doing. Anything they ask you to do, help them out, whether that's writing a statement or, or an interview or, or anything else they ask you for, that can only help in that investigation and then ultimately supporting a grievance on your behalf. Is there a time frame they have to follow, my steward? Yeah, so in our grievance arbitration procedure, there is a time frame as far as that initial step after you receive discipline. The union has 14 days from 
the time you receive the discipline or when the union becomes aware of it, which once again is why it's very important for you to notify them as soon as possible. But there is a 14-day time limit and for them to file the grievance. So during that time period, they need that time to conduct the investigation, put together whatever documentation that they need to uh, to support your case. So how is my steward trained on what to do? Yeah, we at NALC, you know, at the national level, at, at the regional level, out of our business agents offices and in many of our branches, do a lot of training. It's something that we as a union do very well. And you know, that training begins often at, at events like I talked about earlier. I'm going to this afternoon with our brothers and sisters in Region 4 where, you know, we'll train new stewards and, and then we have different levels of training that progress, you know, as we'll talk about a little later on. There's different steps in the procedure where, you know, our representatives play different roles. But they are trained from really the ground up and it's something that we as a union are pretty proud of and I think have every reason to be proud of the the level of training that we do, especially when you, you know, compare it to other unions. Um, I think we really stand out in terms of the training we do to prepare our folks that are charged with ultimately what our number one priority is as a union, and that's representation of our members. What is the objective to the whole grievance process? Yeah, when it comes to discipline in particular, it's, it's simply to give the employee, uh, let's call it a day in court type of opportunity. And, and just to ensure that, you know, any discipline that's issued, the Postal Service, in our case, due to our collective bargaining agreement, has certain guidelines and criteria, let's call them, that they have to meet in order for them to to issue discipline. So, you know, in the event they don't do that, in the event they don't, you know, do a proper investigation, there's all sorts of requirements there. You know, the process gives the union and, and the employee the right to challenge whatever discipline has been issued. And it's a multi-step process that uh, ensures in the, at, the, at the end of the day, so to speak, that, you know, any discipline that's issued, you have the opportunity to have that day in court privilege and, and that, you know, it's just not something they can do on a whim and it gives us the chance to, to challenge it and ensure that uh, any discipline, ultimately the outcome is consistent with with what's in our collective bargaining agreement, you know, that um, both the Postal Service as well as letter carriers are, um, are subject to. So my steward and supervisor meet to discuss my discipline. What's that called? Yeah, that's the first step of the process. In our process, we call that step informal step A. So your your shop steward there will meet with the immediate supervisor. Um, the discussion at that particular point in the process is, you know, as the name would indicate, kind of informal. However, at that step, they have, you know, complete authority uh, for the two of them to agree uh, on a resolution to the grievance. And, you know, that depending on the facts of the case and, you know, what type of, of discipline you were issued, that, that often happens. So, you know, they'll meet to discuss it. The purpose of the meeting is really to just lay out the facts, talk about, you know, Postal Service will have what, what they believe supports the discipline. After the investigation, your shop steward will have the documentation, the information that um, they hopefully believe supports supports our case in terms of that grievance, and they'll have a discussion and, uh, and attempt to reach an agreement to resolve it. If they can't come to an agreement, what happens next with my grievance? Yeah, so your grievance can, at that point, if they're not able to agree, can be appealed to the next step, which we call formal step A. It's similar in some ways, but different in some ways. Again, as the name would indicate, it's a little more formal. That 
the representative for the uh, Postal Service would be the postmaster or the postmaster's designee, and for the NALC, the branch president or the branch president's designee. They once again meet. They are required to discuss and, and lay out all the facts of the case, and, and just like an informal step A, you know, they, they go through the facts, they go through the contentions of, of each each party, and um, their job is really to discover all the facts and then, you know, attempt to come to an agreement, some type of resolution to the grievance. So what kind of training do our formal A people get? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we, we do a lot of training at all levels. Our NBA offices do an extensive amount of training for folks that, that represent our members at this level. We also, at the at the headquarters level, offer a little bit of an advanced training. It's called Formal A and Beyond, where um, we take shop stewards that already have some experience and and train them in depth on what they do at Formal A and then even the next step, which we'll get into a little bit in a minute, Step B. So that's something that we offer. We typically do it a few times a year. We've done it twice a year. We've done it as many times as four times a year. We have 80 per class, and the branches have really taken advantage of that opportunity to send their folks to that training, and that's still going strong, and we're excited about uh, continuing it in the future. Is it better to get my grievance resolved at the formal or informal A level? It can be. Our process is designed to resolve grievances at the lowest possible level. So ideally, when we have a, a grievance, it's we meet on at informal step A and the facts are clear. Our hope is and the process is designed that the parties would come to an agreement. Uh, the same is true at formal step A, but there's also a reality here that, that that's not always the case. And depending on the type of issue, depending on the facts, some cases can get more complicated than others. And that's why there's subsequent steps. But the process is designed to resolve it you know, at the lowest step possible. And we continue to encourage our people to make every effort to do that. But obviously doing that you know, with, uh, as always, the best interest of the member that we're representing at heart. So what happens with my grievance if it's not resolved at the formal A level? Yeah, so if the parties meet at formal step A and they're uh, unable to resolve it, then the union has the ability to appeal the grievance to the next step, which is uh, called step B. Step B is where we have a team called the dispute resolution team. There is one postal service member and one NALC member, and that is you know, their full-time job. And the parties will get together, the formal A parties will get together, they'll put together uh, the case file with uh, each side's documentation, their facts presented, contentions, arguments, so to speak, that each side makes. And that case is then sent to uh, step B to that dispute resolution team. The dispute resolution team then takes that case file, they review it, they apply the appropriate provisions of the collective bargaining agreement and will issue a written decision on that grievance. Most of the time, that'll be a resolution. And once they resolve the grievance, there'll be a written decision that's sent back to the branch president. It's sent to um, postmaster, obviously, and then also it's it's sent to our national business agents level. Sometimes if they are, uh, th- there are other possibilities um, that they, if they do not agree, which we'll get into a little more in depth in a minute. We call that an impasse, and there's a, a, another step that the other process where it can move to. Then there are other times where a grievance may come up that's got an issue that is subject of a grievance at the national level. Um, when that takes place, then grievances will be held 
pending the outcome of that grievance at the national level. And then the fourth kind of decision that that team can issue is something called a remand, where they send the case back down to the formal A parties for further development. Uh, we <laughs> encourage our people not to do that. That's not something that should happen very often, that there are occasionally circumstances where uh, it makes sense to do that, but that should be the least common of, of those four types of decisions. So they can resolve it, they can impasse it, they can hold it if necessary, and then they can also remand it. But again, the majority of the time, the folks that, that work there on the dispute resolution team at uh, Step B will will resolve that grievance and and, and written decision will be issued. Uh, how did those Step B representatives get their job? Yeah, so each uh, representative on the Postal Service side as well as NELC side, they have to go through a training that we do nationally, that we do jointly with the Postal Service. Both representatives go through the same training. In fact, they're in the same class. So we're, we just teach them about utilizing the resources that are out there, such as the Joint Contract Administration Manual or the JCAM, which includes interpretations of our collective borrowing agreement that we've jointly agreed upon. As far as the NALC members on the team, they are selected by the national president, so it's up to me to uh, appoint those folks. And, and, of course, we do that in consultation um, with our national business agents who you know, ultimately are directly responsible for overseeing those dispute resolution team members on the NALC side, and then also working jointly with their counterparts uh, at the Postal Service at the uh, area level to oversee the teams in general. And what happens if Step B can't resolve my grievance? Yeah, so if Step B cannot resolve it, that would be what we call an impasse, and that impasse is then sent to the National Business Agent's office. Once it gets to your national business agent, the NBA has seven days to appeal that grievance to arbitration. The vast majority of the time, grievances that are impasse that we receive in the NBA offices will be appealed to arbitration. Once that appeal is done, there's a process along with all the other impasses that you know an NBA may have in their office for scheduling those for arbitration hearings. And a lot of times, you know, they do end up going to a hearing, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, the, our NBAs and, and our regional administrative assistants, REAs and others, you know, that work out of their office go to great lengths and, and put a lot of effort into attempting to resolve those grievances prior to them reaching um, an arbitration hearing. We call those type settlements a pre-arbitration settlement. So if one step B um, cannot resolve it and they impasse it, the NBA will typically appeal it to arbitration. It'll enter into the process for being scheduled. But again, in the meantime, we have processes in place, agreements with the Postal Service to sit down and discuss those grievances. And, and we make every effort we can to reach some resolution that'll be that'll be favorable you know, for the member that we're representing. Who watches over the Step E teams and the whole grievance procedure? Yeah, so as far as the teams in particular, uh, the national business agent and their counterpart at the area level are responsible for sort of day-to-day. -day. 
constitutionally here at headquarters, oversight of the grievance arbitration, or we call it the dispute resolution process in general, is the constitutional duty of the executive vice president. So the executive vice president oversees that process. Also constitutionally, often the vice president will play some role in that by assisting the executive vice president. And, and that tends to change as just depending on who's in what position and, and the things that you know may be going on at the time. But you know, that oversight happens here between those two officers at the national level, but then your national business agents and working with their area counterparts oversee the individual teams at the area and regional level. So what happens to delay my grievance along the way sometimes? Yeah, there are things that can happen. There are timelines for each of these steps that we talked about. We talked in detail about the 14-day time limit for filing an informal step A. Then there's a seven-day time limit for appealing it to formal step A. And then there's a seven-day time limit for that grievance happening. And then there's a seven-day time limit for it to be appealed to step B. And then step B has 14 days from the time they receive it to issue a decision. And then if it's impassed, our national business agent has seven days to appeal it to arbitration. So, you know, there are pretty strict timelines. We go to great lengths to uh, do our very best to ensure that, you know, those grievances move along those timelines. But there are, however, things that happen that cause delays, you know, availability of representatives, or sometimes there's information that's necessary to have at a particular step in the grievance procedure that might be a little more cumbersome, let's say, to put together. So we do have the ability to agree, the Postal Service and the union, on time limit extensions. And sometimes we do that. We are, again, very careful not to abuse that, but in the case of an individual grievance and the circumstances surrounding that particular case, sometimes um, also based on the caseload. I mean, if we're in a place where we just have a lot of grievances at one particular step, then sometimes you know we're in a place where we do need to do some time limit extensions to get to uh, all of them. So normally, if there is any delay beyond the contractual time limits I just went through, it's usually for one of those reasons that I mentioned. But it is the union's responsibility to keep the grievance timely. That's something that, you know, we take very seriously. And, you know, again, while we try to keep as many as we possibly can, you know, within those prescribed time limits, there are things that happen that are often beyond our control where um, we will get the Postal Service to agree to a time limit extension. If we get to this level, who represents me at the arbitration level? So around the country, the union has a a number of our members that are trained as what we call arbitration advocates. So if a grievance reaches an arbitration hearing, we have arbitrators that are not always, but usually they're attorney types that um, are experienced in labor relations. Uh, each of our NBA regions and postal service area at the beginning of every collective borrowing agreement will agree upon a number of arbitrators to be on what we call their panel. Those arbitrators are kind of randomly assigned to the cases through a scheduling process that we have. And then what happens at an arbitration hearing is the Postal Service will have a person that they call an advocate. The NALC will have an advocate, and they are the people responsible for presenting the facts and and arguing that case in front of the arbitrator. And the arbitrator is the individual that will ultimately make the decision on the case, and, and they do that. They'll do a written decision. As far as our people, our advocates, we train them 
uh, from the headquarters level. I mean, obviously they have to be pretty experienced and, and advanced in the grievance arbitration procedure before even being considered for training to be an arbitration advocate. But we do a, a six-day training with them where we bring them in here at headquarters. We teach them really anything they need to know throughout that week. There's a number of what we call mock arbitration hearings where they practice and, and we use experienced, typically retired NALC officers that are experienced in arbitration to serve as, quote, arbitrators and, and give them feedback. And we teach them everything from, you know, how to give their opening statement to tips to how they put their case file together to how to handle certain circumstances that come up to, you know, interviewing witnesses. And then there's a cross-examination piece. We teach them about closing their case orally, which we prefer, but there are times where those advocates will choose to, to do a, a written closing. We call that writing a brief where after the hearing they'll they'll write um, a closing and send it to the arbitrator. So we've got a, a really long history of you know, a lot of success in, in this area. Our people do a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, that training that we give them here is, has, it, it's been modified some over the years as different things come up. But um, we're very happy with uh, the people that we have. And we're really fortunate to have such a deep and talented group of members that uh, have the ability to provide the highest level of representation for our members on those cases that do end up in an arbitration hearing. So is that the final step on my grievance? Is that the final word? That's the end. So what uh, when we have an arbitration hearing and that arbitrator writes a decision, that is it. That's the final step of our grievance arbitration procedure. Occasionally, there will be a decision that an arbitrator issues that typically the Postal Service more so than the union, but sometimes they will take issue with and not so much about that individual that they disagree necessarily with the decision, but sometimes, you know, if an arbitrator issues something that they believe is outside the four corners, let's call it, of our collective borrowing agreement, they have in the past chosen to challenge some of those things through federal court, but uh, with little to no success. So 99.9% of the time, when that decision is issued from the arbitrator, then it is final, it is binding, and, and that's the end of the line for that grievance. So what can I do to help my steward with my grievance besides asking him every day, hey, what's going on with my grievance? <laughs> yeah, um, and that curiosity is warranted and, uh, and, and understood. I think the most important thing is just anything that your steward asks you for. Do everything you can to provide it and help them out. If they ask you to write a statement, write a statement for them. If they ask to interview you, you know, interview them. If they ask you for copies of some sort of document that you have, you know, please provide that to them and, and please try to do it as timely as you can. I mean, as we talked about early on, there, there are time frames here and, you know, when it comes to conducting the investigation and then putting together the facts and documentation they need for that case file, the member that they are representing you know, hopefully would be the the easiest one for them to get that information from. A lot of times they have to deal with, you know, getting information from the Postal Service and, and sometimes from other sources. But simply, you know, just being as cooperative as you possibly can and, and getting them whatever information they request as quickly as you can will help a lot in terms of them being able to, in a timely manner, put together you know, the strongest possible grievance they can for you. And what can I do if I want to become a steward? Yeah, lots of times we have, uh, you know, members that, 
you know, maybe not so familiar with the process and then whether they get disciplined or it's a contract case or they're subject to discipline and that triggers some interest in, in becoming a steward. There's a lot of different ways, you, you know, obviously talk to who, if you have a current steward there and a lot of places we have alternate stewards where people can go in and that's a good opportunity to learn, talk to your branch officers, you know, sometimes if not in your particular office, there might be some opportunity there and you can always, you know, again, feel free to reach out to your national business agents office. You look inside the, the cover, your poster record or on our website, call them and express interest. I promise you, if you express interest, then uh, we'll find a place for you. And, you know, there's a lot of training opportunities and things like that out there. So that's what makes the union strong is our members, you know, being willing to step up and take on responsibility for representation, because that really is the core of what we do as a union. So those are the questions I had. If I didn't ask your question, you can always ask our Ask the Mailbag segment. Send your questions in to us at social at nalc.org. All right, let's hit our Ask the Mailbag segment. Our first question comes from Sil Deleuze from Region 14. Dear Brother Brian, millions of people live in the areas where air pollution can cause serious health problems. Local air quality can affect our daily lives. Like the weather, it can change from day to day. I've been carrying for 35 years and I promise time to time that we're going to get these new vehicles are on the way. When are they actually going to come? In 2024, I believe the plant down in South Carolina where at least the initial 50,000 of the next generation delivery vehicles will be made, if it's not completed, it's awful close to uh, being completed. And those vehicle production will start soon. And we anticipate seeing finally, after a long, long time, it seems, seeing those vehicles out on the road sometime beginning next year. Now, it'll obviously take a number of years for the full replacement to happen. So the, the manufacturing there will, will continue for several years. So the initial purchase that's been made already was a 50,000 vehicles. They still intend to do a full fleet replacement. So mm-hmm. that total will be around 180,000. One of the really important things that's happened in the last few months is between the the White House uh, and the leadership at the Postal Service, there's been a lot of work done on utilizing, you know, some of the funds that that we got from, you know, some of the legislation that passed during the pandemic. The Inflation Reduction Act was one that appropriated some money for these vehicles to shift um, to a larger percentage of them being electric, you know, going back to the concern that that was expressed by the member in in the question there at the beginning. So of this initial 50,000, the majority of them will be electric, after this initial 50,000, the beginning in, I believe it's 2028, all of them will be electric. So there's a lot of work happening right now in terms of planning for installing the infrastructure. And I mean, if you're listening to this, you all know that every post office is different. I mean, some places are some carrier annexes and, and certainly these new S&DCs are places where you've got plenty of room and big parking lots and then other post offices are located in kind of old 
small downtown areas where um, it's a little more difficult. So it's a pretty big project in terms of, you know, figuring out that infrastructure piece. But the commitment in the end, the vast majority of these new vehicles will be electric. And that work is, there's really been no commitment except for that first 50,000 so far. But I can tell you that those conversations are ongoing and we would expect to see some good news in the reasonably near future as far as an official announcement there. But one thing that I think is really cool is once all this is done, you know, the, the Postal Service is going to basically lead the country in reducing its carbon footprint just by using the next generation delivery vehicles to replace the LOVs and, and FFVs. So that's exciting and uh, that's a, a good thing for everyone. Our next question is from Mike Catalano from Branch 182 in Dayton, Ohio. He said at his local union meeting tonight, we passed a resolution to be sent to national for consideration. I would love it if you would have the time to mention it and explain the process that this resolution and all others like it have to go through after we send them up for you to actually make it all the way up to a contract negotiation. Thanks to, to the both of you. Sure. Good, really good question. I don't think we've talked about that on the podcast so far. So, Mike, as you mentioned, at uh, this can happen at branch meetings, often at state conventions. This will take place where state associations will consider and, and often adopt resolutions. So resolutions come in in a number of different formats or categories. I think what you referenced would be something related to collective bargaining. We would call that a national agreement resolution. There are other resolutions that uh, might be legislative, for example, um, and we call that a legislative one. And then there's others. Most of the rest of them would typically fall into the category of general resolutions. So once those are approved um, at a branch meeting or, or a state convention. They are sent here. Our secretary treasurer, Nicole Ryan, gathers those. We put them all together um, in anticipation of the next national convention, which in our case will be August of uh, 2024 in Boston, where we will you know, the delegates will consider each of the resolutions that have been submitted since our last convention. We put all those together. The executive council will review them all prior to the convention, and the executive council will make a recommendation of either approval or disapproval to the delegates of the convention. I'll get to the convention itself in a minute, but something that often happens is the initial recommendation from the council might be one of disapproval, but sometimes we'll call the makers or communicate with the maker of a resolution and, you know, say, hey, if you change this one little thing, normally stuff that's not, you know, that really is not really important in terms of the overall goal of the resolution, but just sometimes there may be words that, that need to change, you know, we would change it to approval. So that, that happens pretty frequently too. So then when we get to the convention itself, um, a lot of the time during the week is spent on the delegates' consideration of the resolutions that have been submitted. So uh, at the convention itself, we start with those, and uh, each one is read. The recommendation of the executive council is read. Reasons for that recommendation, if it's if it's one, if the recommendation is disapproval, is communicated to delegates on the floor, and then each one is opened up for debate. You know, typically the maker of the resolution, if 
They are present at the convention, will speak and, and talk about the reasons for the resolution. And then ultimately, the uh, delegates of the convention will vote on each one. And those that are approved become, in the case of a national agreement resolution, like you mentioned, will become an official bargaining position of the NALC. Uh, there's one other thing that I did mention that I should mention. With national agreement resolutions, things related to collective bargaining, something that happens pretty commonly is We'll get a resolution here where we've got in the past at some point, and these go all the way back with, with national agreement resolutions to 1970, since we've had full collective bargaining rights, where we will have a former, you know, a similar resolution that's already been approved or does the same thing, or it's something that we've already achieved in collective bargaining. When that is the case, we send the resolution back to the branch or back to the state with a letter that explains, you know, look, this has already been previously approved, so there's really no reason for further consideration. Now, we do err on the side if there's any question that it's a little bit different or a variation, you know, we'll take it forward and present to the delegates. But the things I'm talking about here are things that are essentially the same as something that's that's already been previously approved. But I'm really glad you asked the question because it's one of the key ways that every member of the NALC, you know, just by attending a branch meeting, has the opportunity to put forward at something that could become an official bargaining position of the union. So often when um, the feedback that we get and suggestions, which, you know, me as our main negotiator here, I'm always grateful, you know, for our members that provide input. We tell them thank you and and also, you know, often tell them about this process that if they want to go back to their branch and submit something for consideration of the delegates at the convention, then, uh, you know, educate them on that process. So it's something we encourage all our members. If there's something out there that comes to mind to you that, uh, you know, you'd like to see become one of our official bargaining positions and, hey, attend your branch meeting and uh, there's a process to make that happen. Our next question is from Mike Zeller. He's a union steward in Grove City, Ohio, Branch 78. He was listening to the podcast about consolidating offices. He had a few questions that we didn't answer on the podcast. Uh, Can they put AOs or auxiliary offices in with city stations? The short answer is yes. (laughs) And that's happened. Um, Doesn't always happen, but yes, that's happened. Uh, His starting times, he wants to know if they can move the starting times uh, either up or back when you move into the S and DC. That's been different in every location, and some of them we've moved them earlier. You know, because you have, as we explained on that episode, I won't get too deep into it right now. But if if you want to go back and listen to that one, part of the Postal Service's reasoning for doing this is to minimize the transportation of the mail from mail processing to the delivery unit. So in actually most of them, we've seen either similar or earlier starting times. We did have in one particular one an issue where they moved them later that I believe we were able to get that corrected. So long term, you know, one of the uh, things that we're hopeful about is because of that reduced transportation that, you know, we are able to address some places that have late starting times, you know, if they're moved into one of these locations and we can give them an earlier starting time because typically earlier starting times are, I guess, within reason or are better for everyone involved. He heard on the podcast that certified and packages would be taken back to the finance unit. What about people's hold mail? Yeah, same thing. Sometimes with hold mail, you know, it, it certainly depends on whether the customer's asked for redelivery or the customer wants to pick it up. 
But yeah, there, there is a process in place where they are handled in a very similar manner to accountables and you know packages that we left notice for and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, there's no really iron rule one way or the other. It's a little bit dependent on what the customer's wishes are. And you know, as you all listening to this podcast know, that's a, it's a responsibility of the carrier and something we take a lot of pride in is being able to you know make it as easy on them as possible. But in the event it's it's something they're going to pick up, then yes, it'd be handled exactly the same way. Our next question comes from Pat Ambrose. He's from Branch 512. He wants to know if in negotiations we're negotiating anything about getting time credit for CCA time. Yeah, I I assume he's talking about time credit as far as retirement. The answer to that question is no. And the reason for that is that's not something that we have the ability to negotiate. However, it is something that we have made a priority for us legislatively. It would take the passing of a new law in order for that to happen. So uh, in the last Congress, we had a bill called the Federal Retirement Fairness Act that would allow former non-career employees, those that were CCAs, TEs, I believe the bill as it was written went back to like the late 80s. So it could include casuals that we had at some point there as well as transitional employees. Allows them to make deposit or quote buy back the time, non-career time they had and have it be creditable for retirement purposes. So very similar to if someone serves in the military and then they come to work at the Postal Service, there's a process where they can make deposit or, or buy back that military time by setting up a, a little bit of a payment schedule. The process would be very similar if this became law. So that remains a priority for us. We've got uh, something at this point, something like 60% of our active members would be affected by this, at least given the opportunity should it become law. That bill has not yet been reintroduced in this Congress. It will be reintroduced. It's a bill that we've had bipartisan support on. In fact, when when the bill is initially introduced, chances are, very strong chance, <laughs> is that it will be introduced by a Republican and a Democrat. So it'll be a bipartisan bill. It applies, you know, not only to the Postal Service, but federal government wide. So when it comes to writing a bill like this and, you know, the the type of things, you know, process-wise in Congress and the House in particular, it's got to go through different committees of jurisdiction. So there's a little bit of a, a process in terms of getting the bill out there, but it will be reintroduced. It remains one of our, you know, legislative priorities and um, once that's reintroduced, we'll definitely get that out to our members on the website. You'll see it in the magazine. If you don't have the NALC mobile app, download it. You, you'll get information there. And uh, once it's introduced, we'll do everything we can to to begin to um, you know increase support and get co-sponsors, and you know hopefully eventually make that become law because that could be you know a really important thing for our members that uh, that are now career that at some point were non-career and could allow them to you know, by making a very small investment to really increase their retirement. And that was our Ask the Mailbag segment. Uh, if we want to ask, if we missed one of your questions, please ask the mailbag at social at NALC.org. It's even great if you have a topic idea. And that's our podcast for today. I want to thank you for listening to You Are the Current Resident podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. And please share the podcast with our NALC brothers and sisters. You can follow the NALC on social media at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. You can find a link to our accounts in the episode description. 
And you can follow President Renfro on Twitter at BrianRenfro19. Again, if you have any questions to submit or have feedback about the podcast, you can email us at social at nalc.org. May your steward be by your side and may your union have your back. Thanks for listening. See you next week.